All right. Good afternoon. My my name is Jimmy Kim, and you are tuning in to the greatest show on the planet. <laughs> I am your host, Jimmy Kim. This is the premiere episode. We have a very special guest today and longtime personal friend of mine, and his name is Mike Knox. Mike? Hey, Jimmy. Great to be here. Congratulations on your new program. Looking forward to uh, a long, uh, long-term relationship with you guys over here at the Radio DeBang. Uh, what is it? They add the... the Dial location is 99... Yes, 99.5 FM. FM, yeah. And the pronunciation for that, it's actually Radio Dabong. Dabong, okay. Well, I'm from Texas, so it's Dabang. <laughs> well, we like that, too. Yeah, I know that could be a little bit yeah, yeah tricky, because I had the same yeah. pronunciation mistakes uh, yeah. there, but some of the people from the studio were trying to help me with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, yeah. let's have a good time. Sure, yeah. Let's go ahead and get started. So, Mike Knox, um, for all the listeners here, if you would please tell uh, your life story, so a short oh. uh, a bio about yourself. I know you've done, you've done Way an back incredible in amount in your life. Yeah, I was sure. born in you know, a small little child in Houston, Texas, uh, 1958, right here in Methodist Hospital. I grew up here in the city of Houston and uh, went to Westbury High School for a while until I got to thinking that, you know what, I... I knew the answers to questions that had yet to be asked, and so I left high school and as a junior, took a GED, and went in the military. And I spent uh, four years in the military learning that my parents may have been right about that college thing. Um, <laughs> and so, uh, you know, was an, that was the best mistake I've probably ever made in my life was joining the military. I was in the United States Air Force for four years. During that time, I, um, I, I like to tell people that I served um, in the foreign nation of South Dakota for four years. That's where I was stationed mm -hmm. at Ellsworth Air Force Base. And my job was securing our nation's missile silos from communist rats, mice, and owls who would invade the, and set <laughs> off the alarms, you know. But I had a really good time there and uh, got married while I was there um, to my high school sweetheart here in Houston. And I figured, why should I suffer all this cold alone? So I brought her up there with me, and uh, we spent uh, the, my four-year ter uh, term in the military there. Uh, came back as a Houston police officer. I got hired by the Houston Police Department and then started going to college. I, I attended uh, the Houston Community College and got a degree from them and then transferred that over to the University of Houston downtown all while working as a police officer. And so it took me a little extra long time to get through that college thing. I think the, the total amount was about six years total. Most people do it in four, you know, but right. I got it done in six because I had to work while I was doing it. Um, but at any rate, um, and I was a policeman for a long time, 15 and a half years. And, and then I wrote a book and went on the speaking circuit as a gang and youth violence expert. And then um, did that for about 20 years and then came back, well, was always living here, but uh, decided to work less and charge more, and that gave me more time to um, hang around the house and argue with the with the television about what was going on at city council. And <laughs> my wife finally decided that. In fact, she told me she said, "You know, Mike, um, you know, you tell people all the time that if you don't have a solution to a problem, you should just keep your mouth shut." If you do think you have a problem, a solution to a problem, then it's up to you to step up and try to get that done. So basically, put up or shut up is what she was telling me. 
So uh, because I was arguing about what's going on at City Hall and this and that, so I decided to run for office and um, and I got elected. Um, I'm in my second term now as a city council member for the city of Houston, and and um, it's my second and last term, by the way. Um, Looking back, though, I think she just wanted me to shut up the whole time. That's all she wanted me to do was just shut up. <laughs> but here we are, and I'm having a good time. Uh, I spend my days trying to help people with their problems, how, trying to help the city navigate through some very torrential waters, if you will, um, literally and fig- figuratively, you know, with the hurricanes and all that. I've been blessed to be on council during the Super Bowl and and the World Series and a lot of things that don't happen very, very often. So I feel very blessed to have been here, part of the city during this particular time. So that's uh, my life story in a nutshell. I'm also a father and a grandfather, and um, my grandkids mean a lot to me. And so uh, I spend as much time as I can. Uh, my, my grandson was up in the office not too long ago as council member for the day. Uh, he got to be a council member for the day. So. <laughs> You, you haven't lived till you've had a meeting run by a seven-year-old. Uh, and we actually did that. We had uh, right. a couple of little light meetings, you know, internal meetings. Um, we had a staff meeting and uh, some other things that he ran. It was, uh, it was interesting. Very nice, yeah. <laughs> very, Any, very fun. Anytime we can get the young people. I think people... he did a better job than I did, actually. <laughs> we have some big shoes to fill, Mike, for him to be able to do that. But. Mm-hmm. Uh, anytime we can get young young people and adolescents involved in the civic process, I think that's always a, a great thing that we need to encourage more in society right now. Mm-hmm. And I personally want to thank you for your commitment and dedication uh, in public service as a politician mm-hmm. in the military and in law enforcement. I rarely come across people that have served in those three different arenas of life, which each in their own regard are very difficult but you've been able to seamlessly transfer from well, one. Well, you know, what's interesting is I've never really worked for money. You know, the, the, um, none of those jobs are, you know, what you'd call make you a ton of cash. You right. know, in the military, certainly not, especially as an enlisted person. Um, in law enforcement, you know, you, you get paid pretty well, but it's, it's not going to make you rich. And, of course, being a politician, everybody thinks, you know, that's going to make you rich. Well, I've I'm not doing it right, evidently, because I'm not any richer now than when I began. <laughs> so I'm not sure that that really works out. But, um, you know, but I've always, you know, they say if you if you love what you're doing, you don't you know, ever work a day in your life. And I've never worked a day in my life. I've, I've always had jobs that I enjoy and and that I think are important um, for myself and the community that I serve. And that's just been part of me um, since I was born, I guess. Right. So that's why you're always happy. Yes. Well, uh, that and and, uh, I have a philosophy that every day is a perfect day. Uh, Some days are happier than others, but at the end, they're all perfect. Uh, They're the the days that God has given you to to do some work with, and uh, you should be, you know, blessed and grateful for it. So that keeps me sane. Yes, totally agree. Yeah, attitude. uh, We can totally change the trajectory of our day or weeks, months, Mm -hmm. or years by by simply— Changing our attitude. Yeah, I it's totally a choice. Agree with every, that. every morning you have to get up and you have to decide today is going to be a good day. And right. if you don't, then um, you let little things get to eating on you, and you, pretty soon you're a miserable human being. And, you know, I don't always agree with everybody. Occasionally I get angry at stuff. But at the end of the day, I always remember that, hey, this was a perfect day. This is the day I had, and and um, it is what it is, and I have to be thankful for it. So, 
And then I get up the next morning and look myself in the mirror and say, today's going to be a good day. Right. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Maybe that's why we got along from day one. Yeah. Because we're always, you know, upbeat and have good energy flowing Mm -hmm. within us. Yeah. So the next topic is, I know something very difficult for you. I believe it was last year Mm. when you had lost your son and I was there to attend the funeral. So um, how are you coping with that right now? And has it been... Well, it's been tough. I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, people say that time heals all wounds, but uh, a lot of times you're left with a pretty significant scar. Right. So, uh, you know, that's where we are in our family right now. We've, you know, we've come to grips with it. You know, he's not going to be around um, to watch his children grow, and uh, he's going to, you know, miss a lot. Uh, but then again, we're going to see him again. That's the, you know, we, our family has a strong faith and and we believe we know where he's at that he's in heaven and that we'll see him again one of these days and when you think about it that way um the distance between a lifetime on earth and comparison with eternity we'll see him more in eternity than than we would have seen him here on on the planet so um you know we we look forward to that i mean his you know son and daughter are young and so they're they're a lot more resilient than us older people uh, his wife is, uh, you know, still struggles a lot, but she's getting better um, as time goes by. And so we are learning to live in a new reality. Um, we have changed a little bit in that um, we're more willing to do things now rather than wait for tomorrow. Right. Because tomorrow's never guaranteed. Right. So, you know, if we want to do something like we went to the Astros game yesterday on a whim. Uh, which, by the way, was a great game, especially the last inning. <laughs> Did we win? Oh yeah, we oh, won good. in the last inning. Uh, we were down seven to two, and uh, yeah, that was a good game. Um, so, um, you know, instead of going home after the game, we decided that we would just go over to the marquee and you know enjoy the late because it was an afternoon game, you know. So we went over and checked into the marquee and uh, enjoyed the lazy river up there and the swimming pool and spent the night and. and um, you know, went back to that way we avoided all the traffic, you know. So we're doing things sort of on the spur of the moment. Um, our family went and bought a piece of property up in the Centerville area, a 10 acre piece of land for the kids to run wild on and, you know, and just have a good time. Um, my son and I had talked about that for years, uh, doing something like that. And, and we decided, well, what the heck, you know, we're not you know, tomorrow may not be here, so let's get it done now so that they'll have it. And so we'd, we've done things like that. Um, and, you know, we've just kind of relaxed a little bit on uh, what we think is important. We've reevaluated, you know, what we think is important. Now, of course, for me, the city is always important. I, I, I do focus on my, um, my job a lot. Um, that keeps me busy, which is good. Um, but really, the important thing to me is my family and, you know, how we do things together. And we're very blessed that um, our daughter-in-law is more of a daughter than an in-law. Um, her parents and I and our family get along really, really well, so we're blessed with that. So we don't have infighting, you know, in the, in the family. Uh, the grandkids are, you know, equally shared between the grandparents, and that gives mom a chance to be on her own a little bit, you know, to because sure. uh, uh, you know being a single parent is very difficult. Right. So it's good to have a strong uh, family support, and we do that. So that's how things have changed. It was devastating but i'm very proud of my son i mean in the short time that he was here he was here 34 years and some change um 
If you can describe his profession for the, for yeah, the listeners yeah, and he viewers was, uh, that are as familiar with what he did. Yeah, he was a strong, uh, strong faith guy, too, and, and, um, but he, was, he joined law enforcement when he was 18. He became the youngest dispatcher in, in Precinct 5's history uh, as a dispatcher there. And until he was 21, he went and went to a police academy at the Houston Community College and was signed on as a – they told him if he passed the uh, – the academy they'd hire him as a deputy for precinct five constables and he did that and he liked to say that he, he did uh, he just drove race cars you know basically turned left all the time he he was assigned to the toll road so he would go north on the toll road to the limit of their jurisdiction turn left and go south and then turn left and go north <laughs> it just it sounds <laughs> like, sounds like a race fun. car you yeah. know just driving <laughs> down the you know going making the same turn all the time but uh, but he did that for three years, and then he went over. He got hired by the Spring Valley Police Department for another two years, and and then he was had his five year law enforcement background, so he was able to join HPD, and he did that for I think about eight years, nine years, something like that. And during that time, um, he did a lot of great work, made lots of great friends. Um, his passion was always flying. I mean, when he was when he was um, I think eleven or twelve years old. He decided he wanted to start flying airplanes, so we did that. And and on his 16th birthday, we had to stop by the uh, airport first, so that he could get his solo license done. Uh, in, in on our way to the DPS office to get his driver's license, because he wanted it was important for him to be able to tell people that he could fly before he could drive. Wow! So uh, <laughs> he got on with uh, the HPD helicopter division, and ultimately. Um, the pilot that he was with uh, crashed the aircraft and killed him. So uh, that was a tough blow. Hard to get that phone call in the middle of the night. I can tell you this. Having been a policeman is less terrifying. I mean, being the police officer is less terrifying than being the parent of a police officer. <laughs> so, um, yeah, you never want to get those phone calls. But we did. And, of course, Jason liked to be the first in lots of things. And I wish he had talked to me about this one because he was the first uh, fatality of the uh, aviation department of the Houston Police Department in its history. So uh, he's been the only fatality that they've had in over 50 years. My goodness. So that, that tells me that it's a God thing. You know, I can argue with the mayor of Houston all day long, and occasionally I can win one of those. <laughs> uh, but I've never won an argument with God. So we just have to let it go and hope for the best that it's all part of his plan, and that's where we are. Right. Well, thank you so much for sharing that that difficult story. And so next we'll move on to a entirely different subject. So, Mike, since you are a Houston City Council member, mm -hmm. we would like to if you would like to share the current state of Houston politics right now. <laughs> I'm not sure you want me to answer that one, Jimmy. Um, <laughs> it can be brief. It probably won't be. Um, <laughs> you know, we've got some serious problems. Let me just say this. Let me start this off by saying this. I don't. I believe that every single council member on that council really is is try, striving for the same goal, and that is to make Houston a better, stronger place than it's ever been. The difficulty that we have on council is that there's different ideologies about how we should achieve that goal. Uh, there are some of us, me included, who believe that the best thing we can do for the city of Houston is become financially sound in our budgeting, and by that I mean uh, that our budget, that we're not spending more than we're bringing in. And there are the others on council who believe that we should do whatever we can and go into whatever debt is necessary to, um, to deal with issues um, 
that in my view are not city related you know uh, for example, we have a, a department that deals with education. Well, that's the responsibility of the school boards, the various school boards right. who are elected by the people, uh, who have their own tax base, who have their own thing going on. And I don't really think that it's a wise idea for the city of Houston to be spending taxpayer dollars on that issue when we really need to be fixing our water lines and our sewer lines and other infrastructure issues. So I'm more of a practical, what, what does the city need to provide to allow businesses and people to be successful? Uh, we need law enforcement, we need fire protection, we need ambulance services, we need public works, we need a lot of things. Uh, we need our, our roads to be in good condition, we need uh, infrastructure to be up to, up to par, um, we need to stop paying all this money to the federal government for because um, our sewer lines keep overflowing in, in, in wet weather. Uh, those kinds of things, to me, are more important than a liaison between the city of Houston and various education school districts around the city. Um, if we had a lot of money, if we had a structured uh, budget that was uh, you know sound, um, and we had extra money, that would be fine, but we don't. And, uh, for example, this past budgetary cycle, we had a $201 million deficit, which means we spent $201 million more than we brought in. And had, uh, But for the fact that the federal government gave us money, uh, other taxpayer dollars, to, to overcome that, we got $200 million from the federal government uh, to, to bridge that gap. So we only had to come up with a million dollars of, of savings, um, which we did by just simply writing off some positions that were not filled, um, to balance the budget. But structurally, we're still spending $201 million more than we're bringing in. Well, you can't survive that way. <clears throat> You've got to be able to restructure your budget in a way that that's going to allow you to – well, one of the things we do is we project uh, what we think we're going to make, and we budget based on that projection – well, if you make that projection, that's great. But if you don't, then you're short. And my proposal has always been that we need to be budgeting on last year's budget. In other words, how much money did we actually bring in last year? Let's budget our operation of the city on that. And then if we have more money than that, that's great. We have extra money that we can spend on stuff like education or whatever. Um, but that's not the way we do things. And so uh, I voted against the budget. I was the only member of the council that voted against the mayor's budget. Uh, he was not happy about that, but as I told him, I'm I'm not going to vote for a structurally unsound budget ever, and um, and so that's where we are right now. So there's a conf there's not really a conflict, but there's a difference of opinion on council about what the city needs to be doing to make itself better, stronger, and so forth. A lot of things I agree with the mayor on. Um, he's been very supportive of law enforcement, and I think that's a good thing. Um, he's been very. Uh, supportive of, of new ways to deal with our infrastructure, which I, I appreciate a lot. There's a lot of things the mayor does that I do agree with, uh, but we do have some basic uh, challenges when we when we start talking about what we think is required to make the city a better city uh, and a more attractive city for businesses. Because businesses, oh, look, Jimmy, no one comes to Houston for the weather. <laughs> and no one comes here for the view. Uh, you know, they come here to work and to right. raise a family and to have a life. 
and that's what we need to be providing. And that means businesses need to come here. They need to hire people locally, and they need to um, provide them with a, you know, a, a living wage that they can be able to spend their, on their children and going to great schools and, and so on and so forth uh, down the road. And that builds a strong, thriving city, in my view. Um, parks are very important. Recreation opportunities are very important. All these things are very important. But you can't get to those things until you've taken care of your core responsibilities, your infrastructure, your streets, your, your, the way you deliver water, get rid of uh, you know, wastewater, and, and that kind of thing. Uh, all those are vitally important to attract businesses into Houston. So um, I would say that we generally get along on council, but there are occasions where you'll see us uh, have quite some interesting debates. Surely. So I think we're in good shape overall, but um, uh, but we do have some challenges, uh, and particularly about how we spend money, what we spend money on. Well, yeah, I'm glad that that's a top priority for you to be operating in a manner that is fiscally responsible. Mm-hmm. I think that should be a top priority for any level of government. Well, I do and- that. Not only do I do I propose that, I do that in my own office. You know, right. city council has provided a budget. Um, each council office is roughly close to half a million dollars to operate for the year, to hire our staff with, to pay salaries, you know, to do everything that we need to do to represent the citizens of Houston. So that's that's 16 council members times $500,000. That's a lot of money. Right. So every year, um, at the end of the year, um, I end up with about 20% of my budget that's unspent. And the, so the rule on that is if I don't spend it, it goes back to the general fund unless I want to spend it on something else. So I can either give it to the mayor and let him waste it on something, or I can um, designate it to go to different departments within the city. So that's what I do with my money. I uh, One year I bought um, equipment for the fire department that they needed that wasn't in their budget. Uh, they were called emergency locator devices. Uh, that were spread out through all of the fire stations. And so now they can, in the case of a really bad fire, they can set these things up so that in the event of an emergency, they can find their way out of a building. So that was good. And I've, you know, bought stuff for the mounted patrol and the canines and basically any department that serves the entire city. Uh, I look for durable goods, durable things that they need that are, are not able to get in their regular budget that would enhance their ability to serve the citizens of Houston. So I, I also, not only do I talk a good fiscal game, I also actually do that in right. my in my office. So that's a pretty rare thing. A lot of politicians talk smack and they don't deliver, but I, I like I to see think that, that I do. As well. Yeah, <laughs> you you can. It's a, you have to practice what you preach, and a lot of people can talk talk the talk, but you got to walk the walk. Yeah. That's it's universal, whether it's personal or business. A lot of times it's pretty inconvenient, too. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> you know, it's like my staff. I tell my staff when I first came into office, and every time I get a new member of my staff or whatever, I tell them, look, your job is to fulfill the promises that I make. So I go out in the right. world and make promises, and I come back and tell you, make this happen. And they, right. they do a great job of doing that. Uh, one of them's here today. Uh, Alyssa is our new, my new communications director. She's here. Yeah. Uh, say Pleasure hi. to meet you, Elisa. Elisa, say yeah. hi. And thank you for you coming here as well. You have to say something well. out loud. We're on radio. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And another thing, I'm glad that, yeah, that you're very optimistic about the future of Houston, as I am too. I, mm-hmm. I feel like there's the city is doing well, 
but there's so much potential for the city to grow. Mm-hmm. And we definitely want to attract the best businessmen, the best businesses, mm-hmm. uh, innovators in every field and attract them to our city. And to keep- well, the other cool thing about being in, on city council is I get some insight into what's coming. Uh, I had a meeting not too long ago with a gentleman who has got a great idea of turning methanol into hydrogen fuel. Uh, you know, hydrogen's difficult because it's basically a bomb. You know, it's explosive. And so it's hard to transport. It's, it, it, there's been some discussion about moving cars to hydrogen-based fuel. Um, but the, de- the, the problem has always been when you load your car up full of hydrogen well, it's, and you get hit for, in a wreck or something, it might just blow up on you. Right. And that's not a good thing. So we don't want hi- little hydrogen bombs traveling all, tra- traveling all over our streets, right? So this company has come up with a way to create um, methanol, which is about the same risk as gasoline. It's, it's about the same risk to transport it or to keep it or whatever as gasoline. Uh, but you can, you know, do a conversion kit on your engine and trans- translate that methanol into hydrogen at the point of use. So when it goes into the engine, it goes in as hydrogen and then uh, it, the, the end product of burning hydrogen is H2O, water. So it just returns water back out into the street instead of uh, emissions from cars. Very nice. Uh, so that, uh, that's an interesting concept that may be coming down the road, you know, I don't know when, but hopefully pretty soon. Uh, so we, we can get off of, uh, you know, burning carbon gas, uh, you know, fumes and start dealing with some of that issue. The, also, the cool part about that is the infrastructure is the same as gasoline. So you could have a gas station with a pump that deals with just methanol. You load it in your car, it burns the hydrogen, and, you know, and out, out it comes as, as water. So um, those are, that's part of the problem with alternative fuels is that you have to create a whole new infrastructure. Right. Well, this product, what I like about it is that you don't have to create a new infrastructure. You can use the existing infrastructure to make that transition. Um, and you get the same mileage and same kind of, uh, you know, power that you would get from gasoline from, from hydrogen. And it's a safer safer way to transport it and to keep it in your vehicle and so forth. So th- that's a new technology that may be coming to Houston, hopefully, uh, in the next number of years. That creates that whole that keeps our presence as an energy capital of the world. So they would have to build a plant here. And the other cool thing about it is that they can make methanol from um, solid waste. They can make it from um, wastewater. They can make it from anything with carbon in it. So um, uh, that would be a good thing to do, I think. It yeah, would help us with our recycling issue. You know, currently our recycling issue is about 33% of the products that we recycle is automatically sent to the dump because it's contaminated. So the rest of it sits on the ground um, at a storage facility for a while until, you know, it gets to be too much, and then they have to move it to the dump anyway because there's no market for paper and plastic and stuff like that. There's just no market for it. So we're, we're spending a lot of money. It costs us about $85 a ton right now to collect um, recyclable waste, and it only costs $25 a ton to put it in the dump, mm. Right. So so what happens is you pay the $85 to pick up your recycled waste. It sits on the recycled storage lot until there's too much of it, and then they have to make room for the you know next batch of recycled materials coming in. That stuff gets delivered to the dump on an additional $25. So now you're, you're at $110 a ton to dump your trash, where if you just dumped it in the trash or in the dump, it would be $25. Well, we need to create a market for that. And I think this methanol may be a good way to do that because the guy I was talking to said that uh, 
that he can make methanol out of paper, plastic, you know, anything carbon-based. Um, so that would be a good market for that. Recyclable materials would then make the recycling uh, initiative actually beneficial to the citizens instead of, cost, instead of costing us so much to do. To make us feel good. That's right. that's a problem that I've got with government is that we do things to make people feel good, even though financially it doesn't make good sense. Right, yeah. Fiscal responsibility first. Mm. Right. And then hopefully the feel good will come after. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I've always been a big fan of sustainable energy. Right. So I'm actually pretty excited if that mm -hmm. kind of gets going off the ground. That would be interesting. But for the sake of time, Mike, I'm going to keep moving this the interview along. Oh, okay. Along. Great. Because yeah. this hour is just flying by. Well, I am a politician, so you have to rein <laughs> me in once in a while. Right, right. So we did – we we want your thoughts about – so we'll start with Texas politics mm -hmm. and then the U.S. political situation. Oh, right here Since we go. you are a politician, right, I have to right. ask these questions to you. Yeah. So Texas politics. Sure, let's start with Texas. Yeah, we've got a lot going on right now. You know, we've got the voter ID thing going on and bail bond reform going on right now in the special session. I think both of those are important. Um, there's a group of people who claim that the the voter uh, the voter stuff that they're doing in Austin is the you know Jim Crow 2.0, right? Uh, that's completely wrong. Um, the fact is, the fact of the matter is, we don't want people who are not permitted to vote voting, and we do want people who can vote to vote. We also want to make sure that um, that everybody's vote counts. And here's the problem. I'm going to get in trouble over this because for some reason nobody's willing in the media is willing to actually agree that there has been voter fraud in past elections. And it doesn't – the big statement is, well, there's not enough to matter. Well, how much voter fraud – is permissible. You know, if it's a little bit, it's too much. If it's one, it's too much. So what we have to do in order to protect the, the validity of the vote, we have to make sure that no voter fraud occurs at all. And that way we can all have confidence that our vote counts. Yes. Um, and so that's an important issue. And I, and I think that's the struggle right now that we're having in Texas is that there's a lot of uh, people on the other side of that issue who would like to see everybody that's present, you know, during the election process to be able to vote. But that's not what our Constitution, not, that's not what our state Constitution, nor is it what our federal Constitution allows. You have to be a citizen of the United States to vote. You can't be a felon and vote. There's, um, there's things going on that, that we, there's a reason why that stuff exists, so that, so that we protect the interest of the citizens of the city of Houston, or the city of Houston, the state of Texas, and the United States. So I think that's a very important thing. I, th I think that there's going to be continuing animosity and antipathy between the parties going forward. It's it's almost like it's become, um, you know, on both sides of the of the issue. You've gotten to the point where, well, if you're a Democrat, you're evil, or if you're a Republican, you're just evil. You know, you're a conspirator or you're some kind of a QAnon person or whatever. Uh, and there's the fact of the matter is there are those people in both parties and there's there's a reasonable group of us in the middle who want to who want to do the right thing for the right reason. They want to follow the Constitution of the state of Texas. They want to follow the Constitution of the United States. And they don't and they just want our elections to be free and open, as open as, as we can possibly make it. But at the same time, ensuring that everyone's vote is legitimate and then therefore that vote counts 
and that our our confidence in our elections can be secured in that knowledge that that we're doing everything we can to make sure that everyone votes count as as they would like it to count. So because the problem with voter fraud is, you know, I vote one way and, and three other people who aren't really living anymore, they're voting still. They, they counter my vote. So my vote gets erased. That's voter suppression. Right. Um, and, and there has been a number of um, uh, of actual people prosecuted over doing things like that or, you know, voting in the wrong area. They're not from Texas even uh, voting. So. Uh, there's one case I know particularly where a lady who used to live in Houston but moved to Louisiana, and she voted in the last Texas election. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, you can't do that. You have to live in the county where you – you, know, you right. have to vote in the county where you live. You can't just vote anywhere you want. So um, there's uh, a lot of that – not a lot of that, but there's some of it going on, and any of it is too much, and we need to make sure that happens. I think the state's doing a good job of that. The uh, On the national level, again, we have this uh, conflict on – you know, what, what does it mean to be an American? Um, you know, we've, we've got the crew, up, what do they call themselves, the Ohan and Ocasio-Cortez and that, the crew. They call themselves the crew up there. Uh, I'm not sure that they've ever read the Constitution or they understand what it really means to be an American. And so, you know, this, this discussion about how bad America is has got to stop. We are the best country in the world. We are the, the we are the country that everyone strives to be. If we were so bad, why do so many people want to be here? You know, they, they they come here legally, and many of them come here illegally because they see America as the shining light on the hill. And we have to be proud of that, that uh, we've created a government and a society that's free and open, uh, that people can have differences of opinion without supposedly without being chastised about it. Oh, it's getting more difficult nowadays. The fact of the matter is America is the best place to be on the planet, and that's why so many people want to be here. Uh, but we have a, a group of people in Congress and others who believe that uh, that this, this country was founded by a bunch of racists and a bunch of uh, slave owners and all of that. Um, that may well have been, but, you know, you can't judge today based on the past. You can't judge the past based on today's knowledge and experience. We've made incredible progress in this country, uh, creating uh, – I mean, the goal is never going to be reached. We're always striving to achieve the goal. Um, in, the, in the meantime, we should celebrate our successes and come together as a group of people uh, instead of separating out from one another along ethnic lines or along political lines or whatever. At the end of the day, we're all Americans, and we believe that – or at least I hope – we believe in free enterprise. We believe in – the freedom of expression. We believe that you know you have the right to be secure in your person and your property from unreasonable search and seizure. You have the freedom of speech, to be able to say what's on your mind without uh, fear of repercussion or uh, punishment. Uh, that's a com- becoming increasingly difficult to do. So we've, re- on a national level, we've really got to come to grips with what we all want to be as Americans, and and um, it's disturbing to me in many ways, but. Um, you know, but I'm doing my part. I'm trying to move forward and keep Certainly. a positive, uh, uh, positive thought in my head. And I, I believe that we will come around eventually um, to realizing that you know a lot of this stuff is just being presented and, and hyper um, hyper accentuated uh, for the purpose of political intrigue or political uh, power. Uh, I think when the population starts to remember that 
the government is of the people, by the people, and for the people, as opposed to the government is exist uh, because they want you to support them. Um, that's a dangerous capacity. You know, Benjamin Franklin, I believe, was quoted. I don't know if it's true or not, but he, I believe he was quoted one time as, as he was leaving the um, Constitutional Convention. Some lady stopped him in the street and asked him, Mr. Franklin, what have you, give, what have you done? And his response was, uh, well, madam, we have given you a republic if you can keep it. And, uh, and that's the thing. We talk about democracy. And this is really big in the federal government. Democracy, democracy, democracy. We don't live in a democracy. We live in a republic. And the republic feature is very important. A true democracy is chaos. Um, a true republic is chaos. What we have is a representative republic. We popularly elect elected officials who make the law. The law is something we're all supposed to follow. If we don't like the law, we elect different people to go change the law. And that's how we are able to exist for 245 years so far. And um, that is our salvation. That's the unique feature about the American culture that no other place on earth has. And it's what makes us special. And it has allowed us to create a a society and and a community that can achieve any goal that we want to achieve. We can repel despots like Hitler, and we can send people to the moon. We can solve world problems. We can, you know, the, be the, the, the calming factor in a lot of places around the world. And um, that's something that we all should be proud of. Yes, I agree. And I'm so happy you mentioned Benjamin Franklin. He's <laughs> one of my favorite founding fathers. He's a little quirky, but yeah, he, is, he was a good guy. Phenomenal but, Renaissance man. Mm-hmm. And so as we wrap up the interview, Mike, I have two more questions. So the first one is your future career plans. Mm. So as I don't think the listeners know, but you are being termed out. Is right. That in next year? Or I really don't like saying that. Termed out means like I'm going away forever, you know. No, uh, yeah, my term, my second term is up, and that's the most that I'm allowed to serve on city council. So my choice is either run for mayor or run for city controller or some other public official a job somewhere down the road. I don't know what the future holds, Jimmy, to be honest with you. Um, I'm going to let God lead me in that direction if he wants me. You know, right now I'm a who's who in Houston. I'm a I'm a, a at-large council member of the fourth largest city in the United States, and that makes me a who's who. And about 10 seconds after December 31st of, of uh, 2023, I'll be a who's he. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm okay with that too. I mean, worst case scenario is I uh, go off into the uh, into the sunset and just become Papa. Relax a little bit, take a little I'll, break. I'll hold the uh, political office of Papa uh, for my grandchildren. So but I'll be looking forward to some some kind of comeback. Well, you know, I, I enjoy doing it. It's been in, right. it's in, it's in my nature to serve the public, sure. and I, if I can find a place that uh, somebody wants me to be in, I'll I'll be happy to serve if called upon. And um, and, and that sort of thing. So we don't know what the future holds. And as you know, you know, two years, so it's 2021 now. So 2024 would be my first opportunity to run for something. Um, uh, in politics, two or three years is a lifetime. So who knows what the future holds? I've learned never to say never. Uh, yes. But, um, you know, we'll just see what happens. And hopefully, um, you know, as something will pop up for me. If that's the case, then I'll uh, I'll take advantage of that and continue to serve the public as best I can. Yeah, I'm sure something great will 
the opportunity will present itself mm -hmm. when the time comes. Even for myself, I didn't know I'd be here hosting a radio show and sitting yeah. down with you. There you go. It just happened because the opportunity was there and yeah. just had a few meetings and then we're here there you live go. on Radio The Bone. And to wrap up the interview, Mike, we're going to go with top three life lessons for all the uh, listeners out there for success in life. Well, best I think advice. The, the best advice I can give you is not to take yourself too seriously. You know, keep a sense of humor. Um, and, and do the, you know, work hard, do what you need to do, but just don't, you know, believe that you're all that. There's somebody bigger, better, you know, somewhere out there. And just keep yourself humble. That's the first advice. Second thing is to develop strong relationships, you know, with your family and friends because uh, you're going to need them. At some point, there's going to be a tough time in your life, and, and you're going to have to have that. And the, the third thing, I think probably just have a strong faith in whatever you believe uh, in your faith and, and lean heavily on that. There's more to life than what you see here, and, and, and you just need to believe that and, and, um, and have faith that there's something else for you uh, when you're not here anymore. And that way it keeps you focused on, on doing the right thing for the right reasons, and, and it just blesses your whole, your whole lifetime. So I think those are the three things I would recommend to people and don't worry about money every all the time you know money's good uh, but it's not the end all and be all it's more important that you're wealthy in relationships and more importantly that you're wealthy and um in service to the community that you live in well mike once again i want to thank you for coming here to the radio station and having this interview and giving our listeners such great life wisdom that they can use for the rest of their lives to be <laughs> successful in whatever they're going to do and that, well, it that works will, for me. So that yeah. those well, three things work for me. Sure. Well, I believe I'm a firm believer. A lot of those principles can work for a lot of people in, mm -hmm. in many different fields as a, as a good foundation for whatever they want to do, mm -hmm. whether it's being a politician, whether they want to serve in the military, whether they want to serve in law enforcement, whether they want to be an entrepreneur. I feel like those are universally applicable. Yeah, I think so. Right. Okay. And so, yeah, we're going to wrap up the interview. I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. And we will see you next week, Monday, 12 to 1 p.m., The Jimmy Kim Show on Radio The Bung, 99.5 FM.